This company's never been more profitable. You mean hugely profitable? I like it. Dayporter.com presents The Profitable Cleaner, a podcast on commercial cleaning sales and entrepreneurship. The one podcast that's not afraid to discuss real sales strategies with real cleaning professionals that produce real profits and real results. Here's your host, James Harper. Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the Profitable Cleaner Podcast. I'm your host, James Harper. Today's episode is one like we haven't ever done on this podcast. If you have a sales team or you are the sales team when it comes to your cleaning business, this is definitely the episode for you. I sat down with Steve Haru, who is just an industry thought leader when it comes to sales training that you are going to gain so much value from. We talk about DPIs versus KPIs. That's daily performance indicators versus key performance indicators and why you need to have this in place when it comes to your cleaning sales. We also talk about how to set up quotas, what quotas mean, and why a lot of quotas are absolute bullshit when it comes to uh, your, your cleaning metrics that you have in place and really what you're looking to achieve. If you have a sales team or you're evolving a sales process with your cleaning company, this episode is going to be 30 minutes of absolute value for you. I really look forward to all of the knowledge that you are about to gain. And more than anything, I'm curious to see if you are already doing a few of these things with your own cleaning company. So without any further ado, welcome to the Profitable Cleaner Podcast. I welcome Steve Haru. Hey, Steve. I uh, really appreciate you joining me here this morning. Look forward to our conversation today. Um, for simple introductions, why don't we just start off with kind of the story about Steve and obviously you have a, a vast sales uh, background and now you're doing victory selling, which we'll get into, but just kind of give me your story. Yeah, I mean, uh, Cliff's Notes version, I uh, didn't say a word from probably second grade through high school. Um, ended up... Uh, you know, the, the quiet kid, right, in school, no dates, no dances, no prom, nothing like that. Um, deathly afraid of people. Um, I was only good at sports because I could do that by myself and, you know, didn't have to talk to people. And then I got to college and um, went to a very expensive business school in Boston and realized I was about to bankrupt my parents. So uh, I figured I better get a job. So I ended up answering this ad um, and it didn't tell you anything. It just said a, name, a phone number and part-time job and, you know, 10 bucks an hour or whatever. And I called the, the job ad and they told me it was sales. And I, um, I was like, do, do, so do I have to talk to people? Or they're like, uh, yeah, you got to talk to people. I said, well, what would I be selling? And uh, they said, well, we'll tell you when you get down here. So, <laughs> of course, some of you guys listening are like, I wonder what it was. But uh, it turned out being uh, Cutco knives. So that's how I got my start in sales. And, um, you know, I, I ended up uh, staying with Cutco for six years. But my uh, senior year in college was number one Cutco rep in the country. Um, you know, decided to stay on and run sales teams for them. And we did really well there. Uh, and then I left Cutco and went uh, the insurance route. And uh, many of you know uh, the duck on TV with Aflac. So, I uh, spent 13 years with Aflac, um, halfway, maybe midway into my career, uh, somehow got to the number one uh, Aflac agent in the country. So uh, 60,000 people, I was the top guy. And it's weird to say that because coming from a kid who, you know, never spoke, 
I mean, how, how, how is that possible? So it all ties into honesty, integrity, humility. Those are the things that we teach. And that's how I built, you know, all my businesses and, you know, trained and taught and coached, you know, thousands of salespeople. But um, I realized like I had a, a bigger calling and that was to change the way um, that salespeople are viewed. And so that's when I started Victory Selling a couple of years ago. And, you know, now we teach people all over the world, you know, how to sell effectively, right? But be a normal person, be a good dude, be a good gal, or you don't have to be, you know, these always be closing morons. Okay. That's not sales, right? That's for idiots. Okay. So we could talk a little bit more about that, but now, you know, we get to help people understand, you know, what's in their sales DNA, right? What really prevents them from being successful in sales. And it sure as hell ain't, you know, magic closing questions and, you know, stupid scripts and crap like that. Um, but I'm just lucky I get to do what I do and, uh, you know, get to speak and do keynotes and train and coach, you know, all over the world. It's pretty awesome. I think that's awesome. One thing I've noticed about just the content you put out and what I've learned about Victory Selling and what you do is you really bring a human element to the sales process. I've I've never really felt like I've ever sold anything. I know I'm in sales, which yeah, I, I've never related to the ABC and uh, they'll yeah. always be closing. I've always thought that was bullshit and kind of outdated. And and, yeah. and I, you were actually the very first person I've actually heard publicly call out like ABC's bullshit. So talk to me. I, I'm assuming that has something to do with your sales DNA and yeah. kind of what. So talk to me like what is the sales DNA? So I um, had built a training for Aflac agents. That was my first thing I ever built, my first course. And I was training Aflac agents all over the country. And one of the guys that runs Aflac in New England was like, hey, man, you know, your content is, is unlike anything I've ever seen. You should see this tool my friend has been using for 20 years. And I said, Mike, you know, I don't want to get pitched on another disc profile. Like if you're gonna, <laughs> we're not going to be friends anymore. So he goes, it's not disc, you idiot. I'm like, well, what is it? And so I actually blew the guy off for six months. I had moved to Costa Rica at the time. This is where I was working from, writing my book, doing all our training, coaching from there. And um, I ended up calling it, uh, his friend Rocky. And he told me about the sales DNA test, which is an assessment tool, right? But it specifically measures somebody's ability to sell stuff. It's not a personality, your strengths. And, you know, oh, she's a high D. She'll be good. No, what are you talking about? So we measure 21 different competencies that makes up the success or failure of a salesperson. And so these are things nobody's ever heard of before. Um, one of them is called the need to be liked. So about 86, 87% of salespeople need to be liked by their prospects, um, which it's not even their fault because that's all the bullshit we've been told, right? People buy from people they like, right? That's a pile of crap. People buy when there are massive amounts of value, not because they want to go have beers with you. Um, and if you want to test me out on this, talk to the 100,000 realtors who still can't sell a house in this market. Um, and they find out their cousin you know, bought a house and they go, well, Tom, didn't you know I was doing real estate? Why didn't you use me? And he goes, yeah, I knew. If you bring no value, it doesn't matter if you're somebody's best buddy. So 86% of salespeople have this hindrance. And if you don't overcome that, you're not going to reach your potential in sales. 
And, and the top 10% of men and women, they would rather have something else than the prospect's undying adoration, which is their respect, hmm. not their likability. So those are some of the things we measure. You know, that's just one of 21 things. But if you didn't know you had this hindrance, how would you ever fix it? So this is why salespeople, many of them don't ever grow because they go to these stupid seminars, they dance around on chairs or break some boards in half or walk on fire. You know, then they think they're going to be rich on Tuesday. Yeah, no, uh, it doesn't work like that. Um, or they get taught the magic, you know, let me give you the closing questions. You know, I mean, none of that stuff works, man. There, there's no like get rich quick scheme or no, no ma magic juice. Um, I think that's really interesting kind of knowing, you know, what are your, your roadblocks that you, yeah. you don't even know about. One of the best yeah. sales training I was ever a part of was like, what are your self-limiting beliefs? And it's like, well, I have a belief about money that's actually holding me back. That's one of the things we measure, believe it or not. So we, we measure are people uncomfortable discussing money. Um, and there are huge parts to that. But the biggest challenge with money um, and people's relationship with money, I learned from Brian Tracy, um, which is you will only ever earn within 10% of what you believe you're worth. <laughs> wow, that's that's amazing. So how do, how, how do you figure out what you're worth? So that's the challenge, right? People don't believe in themselves enough, right? That they can provide value to companies. So that's why they don't charge or, or get the rates they could. That's why a lot of consultants, uh, management folks, artists, painters, they, they never get what they're worth because they don't believe, right? That they're worth that. Um, and if you ask any uh, successful man or woman, you know, that's made a lot of money and been very successful. They'll all tell you, right. And you all know this phrase that are listening. The first million dollars is the hardest to make. Not because it's physically hard to generate a million dollars. That is not hard. What's hard is believing you're worth a million dollars. Then when you break that belief, the next one, the next one, the next one, talk to any successful man or woman, they will tell you the same thing. It's breaking through that barrier of believing you're worth it. And then once you believe you are, sky's the limit. But that's why the average salesperson makes 63 grand. That's crazy to me um, that that's what the average person uh, sales and sales makes, right? Especially when they're supposed to be the top earners and a lot of them are in sales for the big payday. Um, but going back to that belief, you kind of yeah. gain that belief by knowing you have some sort of value to give. Um, you talk about the top 10 percenters. I've heard that in your content. I really like that phrase. I use the word top performers within companies. What have you noticed now coaching and training so many different people? Like what do those top 10 percenters do differently? Obviously they have some value add, yeah. but in terms of habits and just routines and who they are, like what does separate them? So if I had to maybe do it, not necessarily in order, but they're definitely not closers. <laughs> um, they are listeners. Um, a, a very interesting stat I just heard from my VP of Ops this morning. 3% of the public, 3% of consumers are ready to buy today. Like ready to write a check, 3%. So if you're this closer and 
these these idiotic companies that hold their salespeople hostage to a quota, which is a whole nother issue, which is quotas are moronic for that exact reason. You have salespeople at the end of every month trying to arm wrestle prospects into buying when 97% of them are not ready to buy. What are you doing? Did you... You, you want to ruin the chances that they buy three months from now. So instead of having a 19% chance, you, you turned it into zero. Um, but maybe you, you know, arm wrestled them into a sale and they weren't ready. So you really think that's going to lead to referrals? You really think that's going to lead to intros? So the top 10% of men and women in sales, they don't pressure anybody ever. They don't close. And most of their business, 90 plus percent generally, comes from introductions and referrals. Hmm. The bottom 90% of salespeople, it's reverse. 10% of their business comes from introductions and referrals. And they're always chasing, prospecting, cold calling. Is that really what you guys want to do for the next 20 years? Not what I want to do. I want people calling me. Right. Hey, Steve, we heard about you from so-and-so. That's what yeah, they do. Yeah, I think that's very well said. I have always kind of viewed, I think, and this goes with what you just said, great salespeople are connectors. They just yeah. kind of play a good point guard and, yeah. and connect people. Yep. Be that conduit for other people, right? You've got to practice reciprocity. Um, you have to give without any expectation of return. So, just keep connecting people and guess what? They'll connect you. Um, you know, the, the call I just got off was a referral from, a, a, I speak for this group of Vistage, right? It's the largest mastermind of CEOs in, in the world. So I'm a member and I speak. And anyway, one of the Vistage chairs referred me to this guy this morning. And when we started the call, cause he wanted help hiring two salespeople. And he's like, man, this, you, he, Ed is the third person that's referred me to you. Like I've heard you three times. So he reached out to me because three people told him what we do can help him. Not me calling him three times. Hey, you ready to buy? You ready to buy? Yeah. That's and hope it, and hoping he's part of that 3%. Yeah. Uh, that might be ready. Um, you, you just said something I, I have to hit on. You said like, you're not a big fan of quotas. It sounded like. Talk yeah. to me about that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, um, I don't even know where to start. Uh, 60-ish percent of salespeople don't hit quotas, right? Um, it's been that way, you know, since the beginning of time. So we already know Einstein's definition of insanity, so we don't need to go through it. Um, if quotas worked, people would hit them. Um, but there are certain things that we have to understand about quotas and that we have to understand about attaching ourselves to outcomes and they're all bad. So if you think about in baseball, um, if you try your hardest to hit a home run, what happens? Yeah, you strike out. Strike out. We all know this, those of us that play sports or follow sports. So um, as much as I hate the Yankees because I'm a Red Sox fan, <laughs> What happened earlier in the year was quite interesting. Um, the Yankees had lost like seven in a row, right, in April. They, they could not hit their way out of a paper bag. And they had a $200 million payroll, couldn't hit. So Aaron Boone, their manager, had a team meeting with them. And this is all on ESPN. You can look it up. He had a team meeting with them. And what he told them was, 
you guys have to stop chasing outcomes. So the Yankees hitters were so focused on chasing hits, they weren't getting them. So after that conversation, and he told them, guys, all we want you to do is have quality at-bats, right? And we talk about this when we talk about DPIs. With quality at-bats, that's what matters, not getting hits. If you have quality at-bats, the hits will come. So he changed the way that they thought. They just focused on having quality at-bats. They won six games in a row. Hmm. And so that's the goal in baseball. It's not to get a hit. It's not to get on base. It's not to hit a home run. None of that. It's to have a quality at bat. And I use this analogy a lot in training, but if you are facing Nolan Ryan and it's game seven of the world series, right? The best pitcher of all time or Pedro or Randy Johnson or whatever, and you're leading off the game and you make Randy Johnson throw 24 pitches and you strike out on the 25th pitch, is that a quality at bat? Absolutely. Why? You made him throw more pitches than he was used to. He's now tired. Who does um, that you're set- Yeah, batter number two. Who else? Yeah, I guess your whole lineup, right? The whole team. Yeah. But where does that show up in the box score? It doesn't. It does. Shows as a strikeout. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. So if you're in sales, you get told by your sales manager, you suck. Why? Because you didn't hit your quota. So we're doing the total opposite to salespeople. We should be doing. We should be high-fiving that guy or gal because they did an amazing presentation. They had an amazing week. They did an amazing job at a trade show. But because someone didn't buy, they're a loser. That's what you do when you have quotas. Absolutely. And you already know 97% of people don't buy when you talk to them. So it's the reverse of what we should be teaching. I think that's really well said. And again, you're kind of the first person I've heard talk uh, about be an anti-quota, if you will. And when I look at the sales teams that I know, the best salespeople that I know and the best teams I know actually don't have quotas. They just produce. And I should (laughs) say, not totally anti-quota, but I'm anti-blanket quota. Um, Sure. And this is another uh, conversation, but um, salespeople are driven in three ways, right? Extrinsically is one, intrinsically is two, altruistically is three. So if you have someone that's extrinsically motivated, right? Money, things, prizes, commissions, trips, bonuses, cars, whatever. Then if they are driven by a quota, give them a quota. Sure. But you have two thirds of people that are not. So why would you give them a quota? They're not driven by that. So you've got to motivate people, right? The way that they need to be motivated. And um, you've probably heard this, you know, the golden rule, right? We've all heard of the golden rule. Right. Treat people how you want to be treated. Right. That is another complete pile of dog shit. Um, Why would I treat you the way I want to be treated? That makes no sense. That's like cooking dinner for you based on what I like. Shouldn't I cook what you like? 
So we have to practice the platinum rule when we lead, coach, and train people. And the platinum rule is you treat people the way they want to be treated. So if you have a salesperson driven by money, that's how you motivate them. If you have a salesperson driven by recognition, pats on the back, pride, right? Intrinsic values. That's how you motivate them, not with money. But that's what so many sales managers, leaders, entrepreneurs get wrong, right? They, they like money, so they think you'll like money. No, it doesn't work that way. It's almost so simple. It like it, it doesn't even make sense, but it yeah. makes total sense when you break it down like that. You yeah. mentioned you mentioned a word or a term, I should say, in there, DPI. And I heard a yeah. talk where you talk about DPI versus KPI. What yeah. is DPI? So a DPI is a daily performance indicator. Um, a KPI is a key performance indicator. And in the business world, everybody talks about KPIs, right? That I think people just like to say it because it makes them feel smarter. Um, but a, a KPI, for example, uh, uh, let's say uh, you and I want to lose uh, 10 pounds. The KPI is the 10 pounds, right? That's the result. So um, we're going to do it two different ways, though. I'm going to focus on the KPI. Uh, I'm going to build a vision board and I'm going to, you know, dream about it. And I'm going to do my daily affirmations and 10 pounds, 10 pounds, 10 pounds. I'm going to look at the scale every day and I'm going to will, you know, that I'm going to lose weight. And then you're going to do something we teach called DPIs. And your DPIs don't involve looking at the scale one time in these 30 days. You aren't even going to look. But all you're going to do is do 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, 100 crunches, 100 curls, run for two miles, eat 1,200 calories. And all you're going to do is do those six things and mark those off every day. You're not going to look at the scale one time. Who's going to lose weight, me or you? Yeah, me. How many times out of 100? Uh, 100% of the time. The the result is irrelevant. It, it's the daily performance that drives the result, not the other way around. And that's what companies continue to get wrong. Um, and you can still use a KPI. If you want to use it to measure success or result, I mean, you, you can look to see how you did, right? You can get on the scale after 30 days, but 100% of the time you're going to have lost weight. Does it matter if it's nine pounds or 12 pounds or 11.3? Who gives a shit? It's changing the behavior that matters. And if you change the behavior, you'll change the result. It doesn't go reverse. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I'm just curious, what would you say some good DPI activity would be for um, if a sales manager is listening or owner operator yeah. with the sales managers hearing this? Like, What are some good DPIs to maybe put in place for a salesperson? So here's another thing that is why what we do is much different than everybody else's. So we customize something we call a daily victory game plan for every client. Mm -hmm. Because if you're selling cars and, you know, Jim is selling, uh, you know, copiers and Tammy is selling employee benefits, there'll be totally different DPIs. Um, Margaret is in inside sales and Jeff is in outside sales, right? totally different DPIs. So for, let's say an outside salesperson, right? A DPI would be the number of dials, right? So I'm going to make 85 calls a day. 
but you cannot have appointments set as a DPI. That is not a DPI. Why? Because I can't control who answers the phone. All I can control is that I dialed it 85 times. That is what we're trying to accomplish. We don't worry about things we can't control. So did I make 85 new dials? Did I dial or, or call on 10 strategic partners? Did I ask two people for referrals, right? We have a whole list of uh, 18 different things a salesperson should be doing every day, right? That's where we pull, right? These daily victory game plan DPIs from. Reading is one of them, right? Mm. You should be reading 20 pages a day. It takes 15 minutes, but the average person watches five hours of TV and streaming a day, five. And they go, I don't have time to read. What? So when you do the daily activities you're supposed to do, your results will increase 100% of the time. There is no gray area. It works all the time. It doesn't mean you're going to quadruple sales because you still have to learn the sales skills. But if you just learn the activities and you change your habits, your results by default will increase, even if you're still bad at sales, because you'll have more appointments, you'll have more scheduled things, you'll have more conversations, right? More networks, you know, all of that will increase dramatically. Awesome. I think that's really, uh, I do think that's important, me measuring DPIs. And I think that's like a good way to simplify and break it down. Yeah. Because this small activity ma matters, advancing conversations. Correct. Making introductions. And again, doesn't those, show up on the box the way, score. Jason, those are the quality at bats. And this is what keeps happening to salespeople. They go 0 for 4 and they get told they suck. But in reality, they crushed the ball four times and four times the outfielders made diving stab web gems. But that's not their fault. They killed the ball. So instead of getting a high five, they get denigrated. So what do you think that does for salespeople's confidence? Yeah, it kills it. Yeah. So it's all reverse, man. That That's why salespeople don't ever reach their potential. Most Awesome. No, I think that's well said. So Steve, I really appreciate your time here today. Yeah, I love the content you put out and I, we're going to link everything up in the show notes for you here and recommend everyone follows you. But I'm curious, I have two last questions for you here. What were some of those DPIs now maybe reflecting back on you? You became number one in sales with Cocoa yeah. Knives. I've been through those presentations, good product, yeah. a lot of shitty presentations. Um, yeah. And then you know, you sold insurance, a yep. cutthroat sales industry. You became number one. What were some of those DPIs reflecting back that you personally did? Yeah, the, the, the Cutco thing that separated me was referrals, right? So I was a family of, of one, right? I'm an only child and I don't have a big family. So once you run out of family, who do you sell to? So I kind of realized early, I better get referrals. So I learned a way, right? And we still teach some of it today, but um, how I would get 10 to 20 referrals from every person I would sell Cutco to. Um, I had more referrals than I could even call. Uh, so that's what helped me get to number one there. Um, and with Aflac, it was, it was activity, right? It was dials and it was um, uh, networking events I would go to. So I made 125 calls a day, every day, right? For a year straight. 
Um, but I realized that that's not going to get me long-term, you know, sustained clients. So that's when I adopted the same thing I did uh, with Cutco and referrals I did with Aflac. So, um, you know, 99% of my business, right, came from referrals and introductions. And the other thing I did with Aflac was I built strategic partnerships. So um, I ended up becoming um, an in-house Aflac agent at a health insurance broker, right? One of the biggest ones in San Diego. They gave me a desk. I was part of the team and so on. And they would walk me into clients. Hey, here's our Aflac guy. Here's the one you're using. That's it. And I would give up part of my commission to them, of course, right? Because sure. they would refer me. And, you know, all the low performers were like, how you're only getting 60% of your, you know, commissions. I go, dude, you get 100% of nothing. I get 60% of millions of dollars. So which one would you rather have? So I would focus on building strategic partnerships. That was my DPI, right? I'd make sure I called at two brokers a day every single day. Um, so that's how, that's how I did it, man. Yeah. You thought, you thought profit versus paycheck, which is something that we talk a lot about just mindset, you know, long-term versus short-term last question I have for you here today, Steve. Um, and I'm going to, this may be broad, maybe there's not one thing, but we have a lot of, uh, people that manage salespeople that listen to the show. Yeah. What's like one thing that they could really do to like connect with their team. I feel like there's a big connection issue detachment yeah. i don't know what you want to call it and when it comes to manager versus rep that yeah. relationship what's one thing like a leader could do better to lead their their sales team well there's probably two things that come to mind one is um you've ever heard that book men are from mars women are from venus right Salespeople are from mercury and sales managers are from pluto i mean they're on opposite sides of the solar system and when salespeople fail, right, the sales managers just call them lazy. They didn't want to work hard and so on. When in reality, it's the sales manager who's the lazy one. So you have to spend time with your people and you have to get to know them. Um, General George Flynn's test of a true leader is when you ask somebody how their day was, if you actually care about the answer. And we have so many sales managers. And when they run their meetings, their one-on-ones, their QBRs, whatever, All they care about is the numbers. And so, of course, the salesperson knows you don't give a shit about them because that's all you care about. There are sales managers who don't even know if their salespeople are married. They don't know if they have kids. They don't know what their hometown is. I mean, they know nothing about them. So get to know your people. Like These are people that get out of bed to come to work for you every day value them. Right. And, you know, the second thing is you've got to recognize people just kind of what we talked about today for the activity, not the result. You know, so many sales managers will go, Oh, geez, Tom, it looks like you're a little behind on quota. How can we get that up there? You know, and the salesperson goes, well, Mike, not that it matters to you, but um, my wife has breast cancer and I've been in the hospital 18 hours a day. But you wouldn't know because you don't give a shit. So you better understand like who you have on your team and care about them as a human being, you know, not as just a means to your bonus. And these are the men and women that are going to leave your company. 
because they're going to go find a place where they're valued and appreciated and recognized. And that's probably the last thing we could, we could end on is recognition. When I ask sales managers, do you recognize your people? All of them say, absolutely. And when I ask the salespeople, do you get recognized enough? None of them say that they do. Again, different planets. So if everybody's listening, again, those are the things that will help you. And, um, you know, we've been able to provide so much of this data right through sales DNA because we give the sales DNA test results to the sales manager. I mean, it's a blueprint, a roadmap of what you need to do with each person to help them achieve their, their goals, right? And it will tell them, are they extrinsic, intrinsic, altruistic? What do they struggle with? Is it prospecting? Is it, you know, consultative selling? Is it sales process? You know, what is it? So, you know, having the right tools makes you a better leader, right? Just coaching to some stupid quota that got made up, that ain't going to do anything. Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more with you. Again, I really love your philosophy, Steve. Uh, where can people find you listening here? And again, we'll link everything in the show notes. Um, but if, if people have made it this far into the show, they're interested, where can they find you? Uh, LinkedIn's probably easiest, right? So I'm on there, Steve Haru, uh, H-E-R-O-U-X. Uh, Instagram is the Steve Haru because somebody else had that apparently. Um, so victory selling, that's the website. That's easy way to find me. Um, but appreciate again, the, the time uh, that we're spending together. We change one person's philosophy, right? On this, always be closing crap. And you just turn it into always be connecting, right. Or always be conscientious. Um, hmm. you know, these are the ways that we have to advance ourselves as professional salespeople. And if we do, then we can drown out, right. All these other morons, you know, that are, you know, selling their, uh, for $40,000, but it's $97 today. Uh, all that kind of crap, you know, that doesn't work. So I just hope we can, we change some lives, man. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Steve. And I uh, look forward to future conversations, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jason. Thanks everybody for listening.